Hi everyone, you are tuning in to Learn FM. My name is Lian Tan, and I invite you to join me on a learning adventure through this podcast, where we discuss topics related to learning, growth, personal development, and more. I hope that you are able to digest the information that we'll be sharing and start applying some simple tips and tricks into your daily life. And don't forget to share your learnings with others, because when we learn together, we grow together. I highly recommend that you take time off screen to listen to this, or even go outside for a walk. Of course, please be mindful of your surroundings and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by DSM. DSM is a global, purpose-led, science-based company active in nutrition, health, and sustainable living. DSM's purpose is to create brighter lives for all. We are going to be talking about personalized nutrition. I just want to highlight that by no means am I an expert in nutrition. Now, a little bit of background is growing up, all I was taught about nutrition was eat your fruit and vegetables, stay hydrated, drink lots of water, take your vitamins, and I even learned about the food pyramid in elementary school. Now, a little blessing in disguise here. Being of Chinese descent, I also know a little bit more about Chinese medicine, what kind of food I should eat or avoid when my body is unwell. So, for example, if I'm having a fever or if I'm down with a sore throat, that means my body is a little bit fiery. So, I should probably not consume spicy food because they are fiery by nature. My outlook on nutrition started to shift only a little when I was in university, and there was a module I was taking focusing on nutrition. So we had to do an experiment on eating junk food for a week, and we had to keep a food diary. I remember that was such an uncomfortable week for me. So it was through that experience that I started looking at food a little differently. And it was only about four years ago when I started developing intolerances to food that I started paying more attention to nutrition. So I started reading more books and researching. But as a consumer, I was so overwhelmed with all the research that was out there and the new diet trends and new discoveries coming out. It was really, really hard for me to keep track. Which is why I'm so glad that we have our special guest on this episode, Nate Matuszewski. Chief Science Officer at Hologram Science, so he is the real expert when it comes to nutrition, and I'm really excited to have him on this episode. Hi, Nate. Welcome to this episode of Learn FM. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Ah,、uh, feeling really good. I'm so glad to be here, and it's really nice to be featured on Learn FM. And I had my morning jog today, so I feel、uh, better than on some other days. Actually, just a little bit rejuvenated, so it's nice. Great to hear. So you're all powered up for this episode. I do have to say though, this episode is highly anticipated. A lot of people have been reaching out to ask, "When are we gonna do one on nutrition?" So here is that episode. And could you give us a little bit of quick introduction to who you are? Yeah, sure. So I am currently the chief science officer for a company called Hologram Sciences, which is actually a subsidiary of DSM that came from the personalized nutrition strategy that DSM has had. And essentially emerged from an acquisition of a tech company called Ava back in 2019, and now this platform's been spun off again to be able to face directly to consumers and develop new brands, new opportunities to incubate those brands, test the business models, and really bring those kind of personalized nutrition benefits directly to consumers. So it's a very exciting role. 
Before we really go into the podcast, let's start with some icebreaker questions. And for you, we're going to do myth busters about nutrition. Are you ready? <laughs> Great. I'll do my best. Yes. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. <laughs> yeah. So we've got quite a few statements and you just have to answer if this is a myth or it's the truth for you or it's the truth because of science. So are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hit it. Eating bread will make us gain weight. I would say true, but with many of my answers, I'm going to say there's an asterisk. Okay. We can always come back to these. So, Food doesn't have to be low in calories to be healthy. That's true. Next one, gluten is bad for you. I would say that's for most people a myth, but for many people, it can be very true. Yeah, I totally feel that one. The next one, consuming dairy helps to avoid bone problems. That's definitely true. Drinking lemon water in the morning helps to kickstart your metabolism. I think that's a myth. I haven't seen any science on it. Eating vegetarian food is healthier. I'm going to say that's true. We can always come back to that, but generally, I think that's true. All right, so let's get into it. Um, you talk a little bit about who you are and your profession. So how did you come to choose nutrition as your passion? Yeah, that's a great question. So and I've kind of reflected on this myself over the years. And I think it goes back to like my childhood. So my mother has type 1 diabetes and she became a type 1 diabetic when she was 12, actually. So just a teenager. So her whole life, she was tracking carbohydrates and this interaction between her diet and how that affected her. And she even, you know, tra trained me as a kid, like, hey, if I ever pass out, you know, give me orange juice and that could rejuvenate me because of the sugar in the orange juice. And uh, it really, I think, I think subconsciously that had an effect because I actually started my, my undergraduate work in food science when I, when I started in college, but then I took a nutrition class and it was just captivating. It was like a whole new level of interest that I had. And just the way the body works, all the biochemistry and just the real complexity of it all. Um, but, but it's just a really fascinating area. What does personalized nutrition mean for those of us who have never heard about it before? Personalized nutrition is really just simply taking information about a person, right? Individual uh, inf level information and using that based on good, high quality scientific information to promote behavior change to achieve a health goal. So, so in, in our mind, that's a very simple definition. Uh, it's one that I think a lot of folks have gotten behind. And uh, it's a very kind of simple concept is that The more information that you can collect about an individual, the better advice you can give and the more likely the person is to be able to achieve their goal. Does this mean that I will get my own personalized cereal? Yeah, you know, it, it could. So it's actually one of the things we've, we think about quite a lot, like joking aside, um, we think a lot about these individualized product formulation opportunities, right? So we've looked at a lot of technologies where you can custom formulate on an individual level a product. So essentially making a single lot of a commercial product for that person, like a month supply of, uh, say, a, a, a vitamin product or a pouch. So there are different different companies out there that, that can do this. It tends to be quite expensive to be able to achieve that. And the scale is challenging. So way, the way commercial products are made today is on a very you know large scale. And this is a very small scale, but very interesting concept as well. Would you say that this will become the future of personalized nutrition or nutrition? Yeah, I would say it could be if the business model works out. 
if the individual is willing to pay for their personalized cereal, for example, and they value that so much more than the regular cereal that they buy off the shelf, then that would justify the added cost of manufacturing some custom-formulated product. Um, but there are different ways to achieve that, though. You don't always have to custom-formulate every single individual thing. You could potentially create an array of different kinds of products and recommend a specific product skew for that person based on their individual needs. So, so if you've learned so much about nutrition and food science. What are some warning signs that we should look for in modern day that tells us we need to be more mindful of our nutrition? I think it's really important for everybody to get their yearly exam. So go to their physician, get that exam, and pay attention when they when they do the blood test. Pay attention to those ranges and where your markers are falling in those ranges. I think that can be a very early warning sign that there's an issue, um, especially for cardiometabolic concerns, which is you know increasingly an issue for many many people. Um, even something as simple as fasting blood sugar being a little bit elevated, that would be something to look at and something to think about. You know, is there a change you can make to maybe you know watch, monitor that number, and uh, try to make some positive change? All right, Nate. Could you tell us a little bit more about hologram signs? Is this available for everyone around the world? Yeah, not yet. So, so hologram is I would I would call it kind of a uh, a mother company in a way of smaller brands. So each one of these brands is going to have its own identity. The first brand that we launched is called Develop, and it's actually built around DSM's ingredient called Ampli-D, which is a new form of vitamin D called calcifediol. And this is really a brand built around immunity, but really featuring that Ampli-D product as an enabler. So there's a very clear link now between um, immunity and vitamin D levels. And so this is a way for individuals to kind of help support that immune system function plus getting support from an app and kind of that overall lifestyle support. And that brand has really been launched at the moment in the United States. But of course, we'll consider expanding that to other countries as the opportunity presents itself. So Ampli-D, is that a type of vitamin D or is that like the whole package of vitamin D? Yeah, it's a new type of vitamin D, actually. It's the same type of vitamin D that circulates in your body. And it's also found in meats uh, and and other other types of foods in the diet, like eggs and even uh even fish contains fish oil contains that special type of vitamin D, and uh, it's more potent than regular vitamin D. So it's actually three times more effective on a microgram per microgram basis at raising your vitamin D levels. So it's quite a quite a special ingredient. Oh, thank you for sharing this. Now I'm very curious. This is a personal question for me. We were taught since young all about the food pyramid. So, what's your take on the food pyramid? Yeah, it's really interesting, right? So, food pyramids have been going undergoing a bit of a redesign, I guess, and I, I think it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because I was looking at a few different countries, um, and so I'm most familiar with the food pyramid in the U.S., which started kind of went through some evolution. So, it started with this base of carbohydrate, and then you go up to vegetables and fruits, and then you go up to proteins, and then you go up to fats and sweets and oils, right? That was kind of the old original food pyramid that, that the USDA created in the United States. And as time went on, there was a more and more recognition that having this large base of carbohydrates was really maybe not the best way to counsel people because that you end up suggesting, you know, going back to your question about bread, you know, bread, bread is a really important part, right? It can be an important part of a meal from a culinary standpoint, but overconsumption of carbohydrate 
can lead to sort of like empty calorie consumption in a way. So it's a way to think about that. So they've redesigned the food pyramid in the United States to be more of like a vertical orientation, which kind of, I think, just confused people because they just no longer had a frame of reference. So what they finally did, and this is the trend that's happening now, is the U.S. and, and several other countries I've noticed have gone to what they call a my plate orientation. So it's now it's a circle instead of being a triangle. And they just show you how to make your plate. So it's a much more pragmatic, practical approach. It's less theoretical. And it says, when, when you look down at your meal, you know, do you have a quarter of your plate being protein, a quarter of your plate being carbs, and then the rest being fruits and vegetables? It's a very simple concept. And then, of course, things like dairy, fish, you know, all those things kind of come into play. But uh, so, so I would say that the food pyramid is, you know, it was a good start. But I think the evolution and moving to the plate concept has really advanced the thinking quite a bit and really helped people understand better the right way to, to start planning their meals and planning their diets. So you talk about the way of planning our meals and planning our diet. So why is it important for us as, as individuals to take into consideration our nutrition? Yeah, I mean, nutrition is really kind of a fundamental component of your overall health. If you think about your environmental exposure, right? Think about what you're exposed to in your daily life. All of that is going into your body, right? There's this general concept of you are what you eat. And it's actually very true. So your body is always extracting what it needs out of that, out of that diet, out of all those things that you're consuming. And it's very easy to, to find yourself in a position where you've kind of migrated or your diet has shifted to a profile that's maybe less healthy, right? It could be, and it could be for a variety of factors. And I think the complexity lies in the behavioral and the social components as well. So I think it's always important to sort of take a step back and think about, you know, what, what are the foods that I'm eating? Am I getting this balance that's recommended? Um, it's easier said than done. It's, it's easy to know what you should be doing. But it's much harder to actually do it, right? And I give myself as an example. <laughs> if we're talking about nutrition and the reason why hologram science was formed was because personalized nutrition is something that is on the rise, right? So could you tell us a little bit more about personalized nutrition? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that's really fascinating to us is the advancement of the science around personalized nutrition. So if you do uh, searches in PubMed, which is the, the big scientific literature database for medical and, and nutritional uh, information, you see this huge increase in things like genomics. So genomic data, genomic science is increasing at a very rapid pace. Things like metabolomics. So, so metabolomics is looking at those small molecules that circulate in your body. Um, that that level, level of research, the number of publications keeps increasing. Looking at things like machine learning and artificial intelligence in the field of medicine, that's also accelerating. Microbiome, that's accelerating. So understanding more and more um, what's happening across these different fields and seeing that increase in, in the scientific research is very uh, you know, powerful. It means, it means a lot, but it also it suggests that there's an opportunity to bring some of that to the consumer, right? And the question is always, um, how far along are we in any particular field in order to bring that in a reliable and substantiated way to the consumer? So in this sense, why does hologram science make sense? With personalized nutrition, it's much more holistic. And that's really the, the opportunity we have with hologram is to say, we want to serve a consumer need state. We know that consumers have a problem. 
they're looking for solutions in a particular area, but they don't really have any good options, right? They can go and, and look on Amazon, find all different kinds of products that are claiming to solve that problem for them, but they're just confused and maybe a little frustrated. And with, with Hologram and with this digital platform and personalized nutrition, we can link these things together. So we can link together a diagnostic test that can tell you something that's important for you to know about a particular need state. We can link a digital coaching platform with expert dietitians who you can text and interact with directly. And then we can link nutritional products to that. So that kind of, we call that the three Ds, the diagnostic, the digital, and the delivery. With those three Ds, we really think we can tackle some really important consumer need states. What are the different kinds of diagnostics that we used and what do you recommend? Like we have um, DNA testing, we have microbiome, for example. Yeah, yeah, very much depends, right? It depends on, on the use case, it depends on the consumer need state and what it is we're trying to achieve. But there's a couple, I guess, main criteria we always apply. And the first is that we're not looking at medical diagnostics. We, when we use that term, it's not in the context of diagnosing actually anything, or diagnosing a disease. It's really about providing information to the user to help them make better lifestyle nutritional decisions, right? So that's kind of the first piece of context. And then the next piece is accessibility. So the problem, so microbiome tests can be really informational and can provide some great, great information, although can also, on the flip side, be hard to interpret in some cases, but they're quite expensive. You know, in my mind, you know, we start thinking about if you can offer a test at a low cost or, you know, at a cost that's reasonable that an individual would say, that's worth it to me to get that information. And also, how invasive is it? So collecting a blood sample, a finger stick, that can actually be quite a turnoff for a lot of individuals. And same thing with collecting a stool sample for a microbiome test. Not the most pleasant thing to do, right? So it requires, you know, it's a it's a private thing. You do it in the comfort of your own bathroom. But, but uh, yeah, it's it's not not so great. And uh, I guess one other thing I would add is that thinking about the value of that information, when we can put that information into context and we can give an individual access to an expert dietitian coach, that information becomes much more valuable and creates a lot more stickiness for that person to stay on that platform. So that's that's a little bit the way we, we tend to think about it. Now, if you had to choose between nutrition, sleep, and exercise, which would it be? Rank them. That's a really hard question to answer. So if I were to rank them, I might put nutrition first just because that's my bias, right? The other two, I think it's tough, but here's why I say it's, it's hard, maybe impossible to rank them, is because they're interacting. If you get regular exercise, like I took my morning jog today, I sleep much better, and I know this. I sleep much better the night and even the night after that I have some kind of more rigorous exercise. So I think that's definitely a key piece. There's there's clearly, and there's science to back that up as well. It's not just my, my personal experience. So sleep is affected by things like exercise and affected by nutrition, of course, depending on what you eat closer to bedtime, that can, your digestion can affect how well you sleep. And likewise, how long you sleep can affect the number of calories you consume. So there's good data to show that people who stop eating or who sleep longer basically have lower calorie intake. And it has to do with you just have less time to be snacking, right, or to be consuming calories. So there's there's that clear interrelationship. And then there's also data to suggest that people that get more sleep 
tend to weigh a little bit less. So there's a clear interrelationship between these things. And we all know about the interaction between exercise and body weight. So, so if you factor all these things in, we have to think from a systems perspective. And, and it's really, so, so anyway, it's a non-answer to your question. So what can we expect for the future of personalized nutrition, Nate? I think that we're going to see more and more advancement in the scientific domain. Like I said, the growth of research in those different areas, thinking about things like microbiome, thinking about genomics, all those areas, machine learning is all going to advance. We know, too, that there's a lot of government funding going into what they call precision nutrition at the moment. So the National Institutes of Health has a very big grant program going now to basically foster that even further. So I think we're going to see more uh, more understanding in the field and also probably public health recommendations. There will be more of an interest of instead of having a generalized recommendation for the entire population distribution, sub subsetting some individuals in populations and saying for individuals who have type 2 diabetes, these are the different kinds of recommendations, right? So at least kind of subcategorizing individuals is a, would be a step forward from just those general recommendations that we have today. So, If I'm craving a snack in the middle of my work day, what are some snacks that would give me a nice boost that isn't unhealthy? I think a lot of times people forget about how good fruits taste, right? And how nice they are to snack on. You know, it's uh, it can be easy to, to reach for a packaged food. I like nuts. I, I don't want to exclude nuts for sure. But I'd say I'd say fruit is such a great on-the-go snack opportunity um, that I think it's it's really worth thinking about that. And also thinking about if you have a favorite snack, you think maybe I could do a little better. Think about replacing it. You know, try it. And, and I think that's also the way to think is that uh, it, it's it's not about going on like an all fruit diet or something, right? Or even thinking about diets, but rather, what are those little changes that I could make, and, and it could be sustainable for me and enjoyable, right? I actually enjoy this, and if you really reflect on it and think, hey, I actually enjoy this snacking on this fruit much more than I kind of thought I would, and I, I maybe don't need the chips or the crisps anymore, right? Yeah. I really like to see that within our our offices, we are seeing more and more alternatives and healthier options for snacks like fruit baskets and so on. So that's a really nice uh, shift. Yeah, for sure. I recall when I was doing research for this podcast, the amount of information out there on nutrition is so overwhelming. What advice do you have for our listeners when we're so overwhelmed or overloaded with all the different resources that is out there? I would say that there are a couple resources you can go to that are that are very helpful. Um, WebMD is one that I like very much. There always seems to be very straightforward information in in that. Um, also, uh, Harvard has a very nice blog. So the folks at the the Th Chan School of Public Health at Harvard have a really nice blog. Very clear, very informative, and consumer friendly. Um, so, and, and another one that I really like when it comes to vitamins. So a lot of individuals. Of course, that, that work at, at DSM and understand how important vitamins are. The Linus Pauling Institute has a really nice, very informative, it's a little bit technical, but very scientifically accurate uh, webpage. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's at uh, Oregon State University. Um, so those are a few examples of places you can go to get good information. And I would say this too, more and more, Google has been better about bringing authoritative sources to the top. But I think 
everything you read online, it's worth taking with a grain of salt. And, and trying to see, like, are they linking this back to scientific research? Is there a reference somewhere that points back to an actual journal article? So if you're an average person, that's a, that's a helpful thing to see. Is there, is there something really behind this, or is it just somebody's opinion? So that's a key thing. Here is a MythBuster question for you. Eating healthy is expensive. That's definitely a myth. Can we ever have good nutrition without spending too much? I would say this, that eating healthy can be expensive, but it doesn't always have to be expensive. So it's important to note that a lot of products are positioned as being healthy with lots of claims about you know being all natural, no artificial, or say organic. And, and there's definitely nothing wrong with that, right? But however, it's important to note that a lot of those products are marked up from a pricing standpoint because of the, all those additional claims and those, those kind of additional benefits that maybe aren't so fundamental to general nutrition and health. So if you think about, again, we talked about earlier this idea of shopping the outside of the grocery store. That's a, and, and looking for healthy snacks, right, to fit your lifestyle in those kinds of areas, that's a, that's a concept that I think you can use. Um, so nuts, you know, for example, you can get a fairly large container of nuts, right, at a relatively low cost, and that can last a long time. So, so I think it's important to look for those, those opportunities where you can, you know, reduce the overall cost. Um, but it's not impossible. I don't think it has to be an either or, in my view. Yeah, so you say go nuts with nuts. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Here's one more myth buster for you. Supplements are a waste of money. I'm going to say that's a myth, but for some supplements, that can be true. So does that mean that if I eat all the supplements I want, it doesn't matter if I have a healthy diet or not? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a Band-Aid solution, right? A, a supplement can never really be a Band-Aid solution. I, I look at the way I view dietary supplements as a tool in your toolbox, to achieve optimal nutrition. So like going back to the, the myth busting earlier about supplements being a waste of money, they can be. You know, there, there are many supplements, especially the U.S. market has a lot of dietary supplements, uh, a lot of different companies selling a lot of different ingredients. And, and some of the science on those ingredients are is not very strong. Um, but on the other hand, other types of supplements, um, even thinking about things like multivitamins, depending on the type of diet you're consuming, can be a really, really good insurance policy to make sure that you're meeting those daily recommended intake levels of all of those different vitamins. So I think that's an important component. How sustainable is personalized nutrition? Um, for a family, for example, you know, parents or caretakers have already a lot on their plates, and if they have to make special meal for someone else in the family, that's going to take a lot, Right. What would you recommend? It's really important to think about that, right? So if you think about personalized nutrition, it's really individual to the individual level. And it can be that, that say, a family can have different kinds of uh, different kinds of needs within the same family. And I think part of that is, you know, there's a, there's a crossover there between what's important for me and how can I advance my own personal health? And then how can I fit that into the social and behavioral uh, world that I live in, right? In my own home or in my social environment when I'm going out to restaurants with my friends? How do I choose foods that are going to help me, uh, you know, make the best decisions and, and help me with my own personal needs? So, yeah, so there's a balance. Yeah. So what are the food that you would recommend for our health in general? You know, I go back to the snacking concept and, and I really think nuts, for example, are, are just a really great opportunity. So, and, and I'll tell you why. There's been some research on nuts that, or, or on almonds in particular, 
even done by the United States Department of Agriculture, where some of their researchers looked at almonds and looked at the calorie impact of almonds. And it turns out that depending on how much you chew, you get lower or higher amounts of calories. So people and, and almonds in general tend to have lower amounts of calories compared to what we think they might have because people just don't tend to chew them all the way, which is actually really kind of fascinating. What it also does is it provides bulk. It provides kind of your your body perceives chewed up almonds or nuts as a very satiating kind of snack. So you don't need much to provide that nice feeling of satiation. So if you're if you're thinking about grabbing a snack, you know, of course, a fruit is always like we talked about earlier, a great opportunity. But uh, almonds can be, and other types of nuts can be really great. So almonds would help you feel fuller faster. Yeah. There are so many resources out there about different types of cooking oils and their benefits and the harms. Do you have recommended cooking oils that we should be using? I know there's a lot of excitement about coconut oil because of the content of what they call medium chain triglycerides, which are kind of like shorter fatty acid chains in there. And those are metabolized very rapidly by the body. But there's also a lot of saturated fat in coconut oil as well. So I think it's important to think about when you look at the different types of oil options that you have available um, you know, just look at the basic saturated fat levels. I mean, consuming too much saturated fat in general can be a problem for cardiovascular health and blood lipid markers. So definitely look for oils and sources of fat with with low saturated fats. The other thing about oils to look for, it's less in the oils area, but in terms of healthy fats, long chain omega-3s. So DSM is a manufacturer, of course, of long chain omega-3s, and the science on the benefits of those is very compelling on a lot for a lot of different benefits. So looking for sources of omega-3 containing fortified foods or considering omega-3 supplements or just consuming fish, oily fish, twice a week is the recommendation. All those things can help you get those healthy fats. Now, I'm very curious about what your take on diets is, Nate. I would say, generally speaking, uh, there's been some good research to show that when you compare different types of diets to one another, they generally all work on average about the same. So now... It's important to recognize that some people will do better on, say, a low-carb diet or on a higher-carb diet, depending. But it's important for you to to test that, right? Maybe experiment a bit yourself, but don't overdo it. Look for, in any particular diet you're following, look for habits and things that you can change that can be sustainable over the long term and don't do a yo-yo type of diet. Yeah. So you mean testing it out, like don't do it for like a whole month, maybe test it out for a week and see what happens, right? Yeah, you can do that, right? You can sort of test it and see and say, okay, what are the things in this diet plan or in this type of approach that that are positive changes for me, right? What are the things that maybe, maybe it's a low carb diet and I realize, hey, you know, I don't need that extra serving of carbohydrate every time I have a meal. I can bulk up on a little extra vegetable, a little extra of the protein, and, and take out some of those maybe empty calories out of the equation. So I think that's an important thing to think. Anytime you try a new diet, what are the things I can take from that and use them over the long term, as opposed to following really strictly, losing a whole bunch of weight, but then only to gain it back when you go back to your normal habits. So we're coming to the end of our podcast. What three tips do you have for our listeners to take away? I think uh, that probably the first main tip would be think about lifestyle as a system. Right, going back to the triangle concept of uh, nutrition, sleep, and exercise. Think about those three things. That's my first tip. Probably is don't just think about nutrition. Think about the whole thing as an interactive um, component. Um, probably the second tip would be going back again onto the question about 
diets and dieting, any kind of diet, any kind of new plan you want to try, um, you know, think about that from a long-term standpoint. How can I make a sustainable change? And uh, how can I, how can I, um, you know, if I'm going to try a diet, you know, how do I do it in a way that's something I can keep doing and I'm not just going to lose a bunch of weight and then bounce back quickly? And then the third, I think we go back to the snacking idea, right? So that's a, a really great way to make small changes in your diet is to think about, okay, if I have a favorite snack or I have, you know, things in my pantry, what are my alternative choices, right? Maybe instead of going in my pantry, I can open up my fridge and I can grab something out of the fruit drawer. And many times that's just as satisfying as that bag of crisps that you were craving for. And it's really not that much of a trade-off because when you really reflect on how tasty and how enjoyable those healthy foods are and, and then how fulfilling and how they make you feel after, I think that, that can be a really uh, good way to think about making those small changes. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful information with us, Nate. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I know Nate has shared a lot of information that were very helpful, but here's a quick summary of what has been discussed in this episode. And I know by no means is this conclusive because Nate did share a lot of great insights. Number one, eating healthy doesn't have to be expensive. Number two, if you're going to try a new diet plan, start with small incremental steps and mini goals to see whether or not it affects you personally before taking a full dive into the new diet. Number three, be a smart consumer. Don't just jump onto the latest diet trends without doing a little more research. Sites like WebMD could be useful. Everything you read online is worth taking with a grain of salt and seeing if the source that you're reading from actually has scientific research or is this just someone's opinion. Before we end the podcast, here are some additional tips for you. Number one, eat more fruits and vegetables. You've been hearing this all your life, but let's be fair, I don't think I do enough of it and I'm pretty sure everyone out there can also use this tip. So perhaps we can also start by drinking one glass of water every morning when you wake up for 30 days. It's about small consistency rather than drastic changes. Number two, eat local and seasonal. Well, the benefits of this in Ayurveda, which is Indian medicine system and Chinese medicine, eating according to the season is actually key to waking up different energies in the body at their most important times of the year. Every season is believed to have a different focus on the different parts of our organs and the foods we should be eating or avoiding. Now, if you are not into alternative medicine, then just know that when you choose to eat local and what's in season, you are actually lowering your carbon footprint and that allows you to also support local farmers and businesses. So that's a win-win. Thirdly, if you're craving for something sweet, usually it could be an indication that you're deficient in dopamine. Dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter which your nervous system uses to send messages between nerve cells, being a big part of our ability to think and plan, helping us to strive, focus and find things interesting. One way to address your craving for sugar is to actually add cinnamon to your diet, as it tricks your brain into thinking that it has just received the sugar. P.S. This could also really help if you're craving for alcoholic beverages. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Learn FM. 
Don't forget to share what you have learned from this podcast with others, because when we learn together, we grow together.